Well, good morning to each of you. We are happy to be um, at this place in the service and to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and to have the Lord uh, teach us from His Word what we need to learn today. I hope that you will be in that mode. I want to be. And uh, let's, as we turn to that which Chuck read in our, in our devotional reading this morning, let's bow in prayer and then get into the message. Father, help us now as we come before you to be open before you. And may this word, the precious word of God, be open to us. And may we listen to it. And may we obey what it tells us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had the urge to know how to get someone to go to work or do any kind of work you wanted them to do. Maybe it was your own children, maybe it was someone else, maybe it was uh, uh, even yourself trying to get you motivated to do something that you know you should do. But you know, the passage today is going to get some answers to us about this very thing. And I trust that they will be a blessing to you as they have been to my own heart. They're not new to any of us who know the Scriptures. We know these verses very well, so we trust they will not be monotonous to you because you know them well. We just review them, and perhaps the Lord would be willing to teach us something from them as we go through them today. But today we're talking about how to get get the church to work, and that refers to us, how to get us to work uh, here uh, as as we serve and work for the Lord. Uh, You may be surprised at the answers, so be prepared as we look at them. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 is one of the the key passages uh, of just those um, verses 8, 9, and 10 that, that I'd like to read as we begin the message today, please. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me explain. This is referring to salvation. You did nothing to earn your salvation. You could not work for it. There was nothing that you could give, an amount of money that would purchase your your salvation. It is a grace gift from God, and that's what this verse is talking about. And now notice it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if we could work for it, we would go around boasting. Look what I got. I got salvation because I did a lot of work. God doesn't deal that way. He doesn't work that way at all. Now notice, the second part of this verse in Ephesians is really important. And many people miss it. For we are His workmanship. You as a believer are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good good works. Isn't that interesting? You did not do good works to get salvation, but after you got saved, then you're going to do good works. That's what this verse is talking about. So, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, now notice, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, my dear friend, believer, before you've met Jesus as your personal Savior, God ordained that you would do something in His kingdom to work for Him. He saved you for that reason, to save you from sin and from, the, and from the punishment of eternal separation from Him. And I got a job for you to do now, and I expect you to do it. A lot of people don't understand that. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 2, uh, 2, 8 to 10 is talking about. God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, 
let's look at one of the lists in the Bible that tells us some of these things. Now, the entire Bible gives us rich insight into things that we are to do as believers, of course. But here is one of them. We could use others that even talk about the, the gifts that believers have. But this is one which is very important for us that, that the Apostle Paul gave us. So you have an outline there. We will try to go down through that and see if we can work this out. Now, a work, first of all, a working church has dedicated Christians. Just as simple as that. A working church has dedicated Christians. Verses 1 and 2 which our brother Chuck read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What an interesting verse that is. You see, Paul is begging us. He is urging us. He is beseeching us on the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Well, we just read that for by grace, grace, and we know what grace is, grace means getting getting something we don't deserve. and But now he's talking about mercy. And it's interesting that mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. Isn't that interesting? Now you say, how, how do you know that, Ralph? Well, because I read over in Lamentations a marvelous verse. You've read it many times. Did you ever read it in connection with this? Look at Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, mercies, catch that word, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is, through the Apostle Paul, is telling us, I beg you, Roman church Christians, I beg you, believers in Jesus Christ at First Baptist Church in Ferndale, Washington, I beg you, all believers around the world, that on the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Isn't that wonderful? You see, in the Old Testament, they killed animals to be pleasing to God. And that's the way God ordained it, because he was pointing way through the centuries of time to the New Testament when Jesus would come and he would be the sacrifice that would die for your sins and mine. Now he has done that. And for by grace you are saved through faith. We have received him as our personal Savior. Now, Paul tells us in Romans 12.1, Now, believers, it's time for you to present your body. In the Old Testament, they did it with animals. Jesus did it with his own life upon the cross of Calvary and the resurrection from the tomb on the third day. And now, believers, it's our turn to present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. That's what he wants. That's what he expects. There are no options. That's what we all must do. It's a marvelous verse. Well, it's interesting. It says it's holy, acceptable unto God. Now, if it's acceptable unto God, we ought to want to do it, of course. And that's what we should be doing. And then, it's interesting as he goes on, he says it's your reasonable service. God never asks us to do anything unreasonable. That's why giving your life, your body, as a living sacrifice is extremely reasonable to God. And he says so. He said it's your reasonable service. Now, uh, as we continue on this first point about a working church as dedicated Christians, notice what else he adds to this, which is very important. And do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a dynamic verse. That's a dynamic verse because, you see, he says, do not be conformed to this world. You know, it's like the baker who takes the dough and puts it in the, the bread pans, the mold, to make the nice loaves of bread we have. That's the way the world is with you and me. The, the world out there has a mold. And it says, come on, Christian, get in this mold, because I want you to be like the world. The Apostle Paul comes and says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What a dynamic verse, you see. So don't be conformed to this world. Let the, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't go with the flow. Don't act like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't talk like the world. Don't dress like the world. It's all very practical in this verse. And we are told very explicitly what we are to do. Um, I mentioned just a second ago, don't go with the flow. You know, there's a bird called the bird of paradise. Do you know anything about the bird of paradise? A very intriguing bird. Man, this bird has beautiful plumage. It's exquisite. And you would think that a bird would like to go with the flow. Because when you go with the flow, when you're flying, you can go faster, you can get there quicker, and everything goes hunky-dory. Not so. Not so with the, not so with the, with, with the, uh, the bird of paradise. Its plumage is of such a nature that if it were to go with the wind, the wind would upset its plumage to such an extent that it would puff up in unusual ways and it would not even be able to fly. It cannot go with the flow. It has to go against the flow. And I'll tell you something, folks. That's what God has called you and me to do is to go against the flow. The world out here has its rivers going in one direction. They want you to get in. The world has its lifestyle. They want you to be a part of it. But God says, be like, be like this wonderful bird of paradise. Go against the flow. Go against the wind. Get to your destination God's way, because that's what He wants us to do. A very, very precious, precious lesson. You see... In that same verse, uh, verse 2, he talks about being, um, he says, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we won't take time to go into all of these uh, little phrases, but they are very, very special. You see, God wants us to be transformed from within. The world wants you to be transformed from without. That's why they're trying to get you to do everything their way so that you will be one of them. God says, no. Be transformed inwardly by the power of the Spirit of God to be what God wants you to be. That's what he's telling us in this verse. Well, it's really interesting. What about you? What about me? I read of a, a greatly used Christian man, a leader, who was speaking of his trials and conflicts and victories. And someone asked him, what had been the secret of his success? Because they wanted to know. And he said, well, he hesitated a moment, and then, then tears started to come down his eyes, and he began to cry and to weep. And he said, I will tell you the secret, he said. God has had all there was of me 
to have. You see, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. Presenting your body a living sacrifice to God. He wants all of you there is to give. I trust that we will do it today, dear friends. A living sacrifice. Now, in our outline number two, a working church has humble Christians. Well, you know, we know what that's all about, don't we? Uh, it says, verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to you, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Do you think that sometimes we get kind of a high opinion of ourselves? I think we do. Let me tell you why, because Solomon said it best. He said, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Did you know that's in the Bible? It says it twice in two different ways in the book of Proverbs. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. We always think that we're doing it the right way. Well, folks, we're not always doing it the right way. That's why it was in the Bible to tell us that, because we need to be alert. Yep, every Christian is to be humble. Everyone who is among you, it says there, doesn't leave out anybody. The word everyone, everyone who is among you. Now, uh, Mr. Hull said this. Someone suggested if we want to know how important we are, we should put our fingers into a glass of water, take them out, and then see how much of a hole we made. (laughs) Get the point? Get the point? We're not too important. Our, our missionary friends in Brazil, with whom we worked for years up in the Amazon River, 2,000 miles, I know they used to, they used to have a, a statement about people who said, boy, he sure cuts a wide swath. Well, some people do cut a wide swath, I know that, but basically, we better be humble. We really, we really don't have too much to brag about. Every Christian is to have the proper attitude of himself, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We tend to overestimate ourselves and oftentimes underrate the other person. I was speaking Portuguese. Excuse me, Raleigh. (laughs) I was thinking I'm back in the pulpit in Brazil. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, Have you ever noticed that? It's easy to overestimate ourselves and underrate the next guy. Just kind of human nature, you see. I'm not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be humble. This means, this means don't overthink about yourself. It's better to underthink about yourself and realize who we really are. I love this. A man had a pretty high opinion of himself, so he stopped on a, one of those coin-operated scales. Have you ever seen them? A scale-operated those machines. And, you know, he, he got on the thing, and it dispersed a card, and it was giving his weight and comments about his personality. And, and after reading the card, man, he liked it pretty well, and he, he handed the thing to his wife, and he said, Here, look at this. And she took it and read aloud, You are dynamic, a born leader, handsome, and much admired by women for your personality. Giving it a second look, she added, Hmm, I see it's got your weight wrong too. (laughs) That's the way it works, folks. Every Christian is to think soberly. That means to have right judgment. Verse 3. Every Christian is to use Christ as the standard, verse 3, the measure of faith. When you look at Him, you really see yourself as you really are. A little girl was 
visiting with her, she was with her family, mom and dad, over in a cathedral in Europe somewhere, and, and, her, and her dad says, um, uh, honey, what, you, what do you think about this beautiful building? And she said, at home, daddy, you look, you look so big, but here you look very small. Yep. Well, that's not to mean that kids aren't to look up to mom and dad. Well, I don't mean that, but it's, it's just to show you the, the immensity of the situation, that when we look to Christ, we know how small we really are. Okay. Now the next point in our outline is a working church has functioning Christians. Isn't that interesting? Verse 4. So, for as we have many members in one body, what does that mean? That means many uh, let's put it on a local level. As we have many members, born-again believers, in this body of Christ, First Baptist Church, Ferndale, as we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. You see, you don't do what I do, and I can't do what many of you do, because we all have a different function. And I wish we had time to go through this in detail, but we don't. But you know the answers that God has given gifts to all of us in such an amazing way that we all have something to do in the Lord's work. All of us. No one is exempt. It's really quite wonderful, to, to say the least. So, we have functioning Christians. The church functions as a body. We are one body in Christ. Each member has its peculiar function in the church. It says all members here do not have the same function. But notice, they do have a function that's the important thing. So you might say, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what my gift is. Listen, friend, all of us can do something for Jesus. And whatever you can do for Jesus is your gift. Use it. Each member is dependent on the other. Individual, it says individually members one of the other, one of another. Um, some Bible scholar has correctly said this, this passage utterly destroys the notion that a Christian can be committed to Christ but be inactive in his service, that he can love the Lord but not obey the Lord, that he can be surrendered to the Lord but not, but not minister for the Lord. True worship cannot be divorced from service. So we come to church today to worship the Lord. But when you go home, my dear friend, that's when you start serving the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful. It really, really is. Um, functioning Christians. Um, one time, someone came to one of the old pastors years ago, over 100, a couple hundred years ago, and said, Pastor, why is it that your church is so effective in the community? And without even a moment's hesitation, he said, I'll tell you, my brother, why? Because when I say amen at the close of my message... 450 people in attendance in the service go out into the city, this city where this church is, and tell people about... They repeat the message I gave. They tell the others about the Lord. You see, there's so much we can do to be of service. Telling people what we've learned in church, what we have learned in our own lives. It's such a wonderful thing. Well, here's the next point, number four. A working church has gifted Christians. This is interesting. Verses 6 to 8. Um, let me just mention these. 
Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I realize this is a complex a set of circumstances here. And this is only one in the New Testament. We can pick out others too, but let me, let's just talk about this one, about these gifts. A working church has gifted Christians. Now, the instructions concerning these gifts, I've just mentioned to you uh, and read to you. It says they're given to each member, each member according to the best way they can serve. Are give, each one is given a gift. Uh, God expects each one to use his or her gift because it says in, uh, in, in verse um, uh, 6 there, it says, let us use them. Uh, God gives you a gift and he says, listen, I gave it to you, let's use them now. Don't hold that gift and not use it, use it. That's what the main purpose of this, of this little section is. Now, now he gives us a list of these gifts and these are not exhaustive like I've told you. Notice uh, in, um, in that sub-list there now, the list. The first one is spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. These are interesting. In verse 6, it, it talks about, um, <clears throat> if, um, in, in using verse 6, he says um, the, the, the wording of the, of the scripture is that having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy. So the first one is prophecy, and this is not necessarily prediction, uh, you know, t- talking about the future. It can be, but it's not necessarily that. This, is, this verse is talking about the, the, the fact of publicly or privately proclaiming God's word. You as a believer, I as a believer, talking to others about the Lord, using this wonderful gift of prophecy of being able to explain God's word to other people and to uh, really mean what you say. You see, it's, it's to be done, it says, uh, in proportion to one's faith. This means a mathematical term. And it means God supplies the faith and the power to match the gift. So God will help you to explain his word to people to whom you are speaking. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift. And I believe it, it has to do with witnessing for Christ to your fellow men and women that you know, uh, people with whom you work, your family members, sharing Jesus Christ with them. It, it shows you how, it shows you that you can have this wonderful gift of just using your life to explain the Word of God to other people. And I hope that you're sold on the product. I hope that you're sold on the product of taking God's Word and giving it to someone else. I read of a fountain pen salesman who really learned a pretty tough lesson. This fountain pen salesman, he persuaded a, a businessman. He was in a store and, he, and, and the guy bought 500 fountain pens. Well, as he was writing up the order... The businessman who had just ordered the 500 pens, he said, hold on, I'm canceling the order. Uh Uh-oh, what's gone wrong? So, and he turned around and waited on another customer. Didn't order the pens. So the salesman left pretty perplexed. And later the businessman's bookkeeper said, why did you cancel that order? Why? Why, responded the man? He said, because he talked pens to me for a half hour using a number of of wonderful arguments 
And then he wrote up my order with a lead pencil. <laughs> if you're going to sell fountain pens, write up your order with a fountain pen. If you're going to preach Jesus to your neighbor, live Jesus in your life, my dear friend. It sure makes a difference. <clears throat> well, this God-given gift is to be used as one trust Him to communicate the Word to the listeners. This is the Word for their hearts. Now the second gift, notice, practical needs. It's talking about practical needs. The first one was spiritual needs. Now here are practical needs. This is talking about service. That's in verse, in verse 7. Uh, look, how, look how that's given. Or ministry... Let us use it in our ministering. What does that mean? In our, our ministry, let us use it in our ministry. And that means that's talking about service. And I don't really need to preach to many of you folks. It's like preaching to the choir. Because many of you know, do this all the time. But maybe someone here isn't doing it. And it's good for us to hear these things. You see, um, D.L. Moody. Have you all heard of D.L. Moody? One of the great evangelists of bygone days. What a man of God. Do you know what he did? People who stayed in his home, and he had a lot of them, when they weren't around, he shined their shoes at night. So the next morning they had a nice shiny pair of shoes. One of the greatest preachers of that, set, of that century. And he was a humble man. He, he liked to serve other people. How many of you know Nancy Ruhlman? Anyone know Nancy Ruhlman? Yeah. We went to Gilead. I've been speaker at Gilead several times for youth meetings and youth, different youth groups. And um, one time they said, Nancy Ruhlman's mother's here. Oh, really? I never see her. No, you won't. Why? Because when you have everybody in the, in the, in the, uh, in the main chapel giving a message, Nancy Ruhlman's mother, she lives in a 12-foot trailer. 12-foot trailer, just from here to there. Not even a bathroom in it. She lives in that trailer, and while you're teaching them the Word of God, she's got a slop bucket, and she's out cleaning all the toilets at Camp Gilead. Isn't that amazing? Never hear about her. Never see her. She's always working. Serving. Like D.L. Moody, shining shoes. There's something you can do for the Lord, my friend. Learn to do it. Learn what it is and do it. Some of your... Some of you minister in such special ways here at First Baptist. You, you, you know what, who you are, and God knows who you are, and this is a gift from God, and I praise the Lord for you and how God has used you. This is the word from which we get the word deacon, serving, see, serving. This refers to any practical help one can give another in Jesus' name. Uh, Andrew Boner um, went over and visited in Babylon one time, and he... Um, he found, uh, he found there a bunch of bricks that he could actually bring one home. And he noticed that, um, that on the brick was, there was a stamp of the, of the king who was ruling at the time that particular building was constructed. Every brick had a stamp with the king's name in it. Interesting, isn't it? And the lesson is this. Every, we must let everything we do bear the name of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So my friend, when you clean the bathrooms in Camp Gilead, just be sure that it marks the wonderful and honors the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or when you shine shoes, 
It's Jesus that's getting the credit for it. I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. That's what he's talking about. Well, <clears throat> there is no end of things that we can do under, under this uh, category of gifts. But remember, this gift is to be used. Verse 6 says that. Colossians 3.17 is a great verse. I love it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything should bear the name of Jesus. Okay, here's the next one, the third one, the third gift. It's called intellectual needs. And, it's, it's, uh, and it uses the word teaching. Uh, isn't that, isn't that uh, interesting? It says, uh, he who teaches in teaching. And uh, you see, in teaching, uh, that's quite a gift that God gives some people. But everybody teaches in one way or the other. And he's talking about that in this passage. If God has given you the ministry of teaching, then learn to teach for his glory and do it in his power by, with his help. And uh, I, I never forget Dr. Alexander McLaren, one of the great preachers of bygone days. You know what he used to do? Hear this great man of God who knew the word of God so wonderfully well but he would work his way down in the little village where he taught in this huge church where he was. He would go down the streets and go into a blacksmith shop. And what would he do in a blacksmith shop? He would ask this guy that was hammering away at the metal to give him, a, give him an explanation of some biblical verse. Because this blacksmith walked with God. And yes, he was a blacksmith. And, and, and Alexander McLaren was a great preacher. But Alexander McLaren could learn from a man who was a blacksmith, something that he needed to know. You see, friends, oh, how wonderful to be open to people who know something and let us just soak it in and learn from others. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity we have. That's what this intellectual needs is all about. So uh, learning, learning from someone else, something that we need to know. This gift is to be used to build up the body of Christ, not just for gaining knowledge alone. This is the word for our minds. Now look at the fourth need. It's emotional needs. It says exhortation. And I'm going to use the word encouragement because I believe that's the, I believe that's the best way I would like to teach it in this context. He who exhorts in exhortation. Exhortation, another, another meaning of the word exhortation is encouragement. And some people have the gift of encouraging other people. It's amazing. And I trust that all of us will, will have that particular gift. You know the, the giant... The, have you ever visited the giant redwood trees? How many of you visited the giant redwoods? Yeah, some of you have. They're amazing. There's something about them that we may not know. The giant redwood trees of California have shallow roots. I bet you Norm knows that. And the reason they are, they are strong is because they are connected to each other by their root system. The roots of one tree reaches out to the roots of the other and form a network of strength. So here are all these huge trees and they're standing so beautifully and tall and huge and giants. And yet their foundation, they're all intertwined because they're all together. And that's what it's talking about here, about exhortation. We need to encourage one another like the giant redwood trees. Encourage one another. That's how they stand tall. And that's how they grow to be such huge and wonderful and marvelous, marvelous trees. Okay, be a cheerful giver. Be an encourager. It only takes a second to give a smile away, and in that tiny second you can make another's day. It only takes a moment to cheer a saddened friend, and in that little moment some broken heart will mend. 
And then on every hour, if kindly words are said, everyone you speak to will raise a weary head. So let's learn to do that, folks. Let's go to number five. That is a material and financial need. Giving, it's talking about. Giving. We don't even need to really talk about this a lot. But, you know, um, it, there's one word that's interesting in this, in verse 8. It says, do it with liberality. Some people are extremely generous in their giving. And, of course, that's biblical because we are told to give liberally. We are to do it from a heart that just loves the Lord so much. We just give joyously and liberally. I read a sad story about a lady. Listen to this. I'd say the title of this is, Be Careful to You and Me. Be Careful. A lady who, when poor, gave much to Christ, then fell heir to a large sum of money. Here's what she said. I cannot do as much as I used to, she said. How is that? Another said, Well, when I had a nickel purse, I had a silver heart. And now I have a silver purse, and I only have a nickel heart. Isn't that sad? That can happen. That can happen. Okay, the next one. Number six. Administrative or organizational needs. The word is leading there. You see it? Verse eight. Leading or, or he, who, he who leads with diligence. We're getting almost to the end of the line there. Uh, he who leads with diligence. With um, diligence, this means that leaders, heads of committees, deacons, elders should do their duties as business-like for God as they are in their own business. It's a very practical thing. Do it diligently as unto the Lord. Now, number seven, physical needs. Show mercy. I love this verse. Show, show mercy. In verse eight, that's the, last, that's the last one. And it says to do it with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. Stop showing mercy with a grudge. We are always told to not grudge when we give and when we, when we, when we use this mercy. So don't serve God with a grudge. And so Sunday school teachers and Awana workers and committee members and all people, you can certainly learn to do it diligently in your, in your showing mercy to the, to the, in the Lord's work. You can certainly grow tired in the work of the Lord, my friend, but when you get tired of the work, you have, you have stepped off God's altar and are in, a, in serious trouble. So don't get tired. Don't get tired of the work, even though you might get tired in the work. There's a great, great difference. Enjoy everything you do. Enjoy everything you do. I've been preaching 60 years, and I still enjoy it, just like when I started a long, long, long time ago in Brazil. But you see, that doesn't make me special. It's just that I enjoy doing it, and you do too, in what God has led and allowed you to do. That's what we're supposed to do. I made a couple of summary remarks down here. Remember, we are not doing this for ourselves, but for Christ. How true it is. How true it is. Um, how much... How much are you allowing your life to be used for Christ, my dear friend? I read of, a, I read of an incident after World War II in, in a, a group of German students. They volunteered to help rebuild a, an, uh, an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by German bombs. As the work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue whose arms were outstretched and beneath was, was this inscription, come unto me. 
And they had particular difficulty trying to, to, trying to restore the hands, which had been completely destroyed with this bombing. And after much discussion, they decided to let the hands remain missing and change the inscription to this. Christ has no hands but ours. Isn't that wonderful? See, my friends, Christ has your hands to reach out and help and minister to others. I pray, I pray you will do that. Are you allowing him to lead in your life? Is he allowed to, to work in your life and use the gifts that God has given you? Or have you held back something or given him something that's just not worth very much? Like Queen Mary used to go to Scotland and visit and like to take the boys and girls without even a guard and walk down the beaches, you know. And, and she went one day and, and a, a huge storm was brewing and, and she walked into one of the houses and she says, Oh, madam, could you... Could you loan me your umbrella and I will return it tomorrow? And so the lady, not knowing who Queen Mary was, gave her the umbrella that she was going to throw away. And it was tattered and ruined and the ribs weren't very good on it. It was a mess. And gave that to Queen Mary to get home and help her through the rainstorm to get home. The next day, a knock came at the door. A knock came at the door and the royal guard from the palace says, thank you, madam, for the use of your umbrella. The queen is returning it, thanking you so much for the use of that. The lady in the home heard what she heard, and all of a sudden burst out in tears, and she said, oh, what an opportunity I missed. She cried, I didn't give the queen my very best. <coughs> Gave her that which she was going to throw away. Don't Throw away something that you should give really to the Lord. Give him your best. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus our Savior. And there's so much, Lord, that we have that we need to just wholeheartedly give to you the best of our lives. Give of your best to the Master. Like the song says, give the strength, give of the strength of your youth. And yes, of our middle age and our old age as well. I just pray, O oh God, that you will allow us to take these simple thoughts from Romans 12 and turn them into a living sacrifice that Paul has asked us to present our bodies, a living sacrifice to him. As we conclude this service, my dear friend, would you raise your hand with me if you would just like to say, oh, I want to rededicate my life and step on this wonderful altar that God has given me and present my body a living sacrifice. I want to give him all. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm with you as we pray this last prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Father, thank you for those who have decided to just make a recommitment of their lives to you, saying, Lord, here is my life. Let me present it a living sacrifice. Help us to stick with it. Don't let us give up. Help us to learn from this portion today things that we will never forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.